turkey all day. Christmas turkey. Christmas goose. Christmas ham. Food. Welcome to the Weird Christmas Podcast. I'm Craig Kringle. My kids think holiday food is disgusting. They each have their own reasons, too. The older one is vegetarian. He has been since he was a toddler. Kind of long story, but he didn't want to eat animals, so there went that chicken nugget habit. And he just never went back, so we don't do turkey at my house. My younger son is still in that stage where anything that touches or any kind of mixed up food is gross. So that means no casseroles, no stuffing, pretty much any kind of traditional American holiday dish like green bean casserole or sweet potato pie or whatever just isn't going to fly. Now I'm telling you this because I want to warn you. I had them listen to the interview you're about to hear and they were thoroughly disgusted, each for their own unique reason. We're going to talk about all kinds of meat and we're going to talk about mixing up all kinds of meat in ways that... Look, it's not all that pleasant. So consider this your trigger warning. If you have a tender tummy, this ain't the episode for you. And you thought weird Christmas food would be all about fruitcake again? No way. So when I was thinking about episode topics, weird Christmas food seemed like a natural thing. And I was doing some reading and researching, even thought maybe I'd do an episode where I tried to make a bunch of old weird food and force my family to try it. But they were saved from my experimenting, strangely enough, by COVID. So I don't know if you're aware, but it turns out that COVID has a weird effect on podcasts. First, no one's listening as much as they used to, because basically only a fraction of people commute anywhere anymore, and that's when most people listen. Although, Christopher Stanley, who's written some very good Christmas horror stories, said on Twitter that uh, mine is great for wrapping presents too, which I thought was very cool. I put a link to his book on the show notes as a thank you. But strangely enough, COVID is also responsible for thousands and thousands of new podcasts that have popped up in the last year. Because suddenly everyone has free time to listen to themselves talk into a microphone. And Christmas podcasts are no exception. There are about a hundred or so new ones that started just since last season. And I'm not exaggerating. Brian Earle from the Christmas Past podcast got a list together of, we think, all the Christmas podcasts out there right now. And it's kind of insane. I'll put a link to that on the show notes too if you're interested. But I'll admit, most of them are kind of doing things that are already out there. I mean, there's a lot of stuff about Hallmark movies and loads of people talking about old Christmas specials. And they're not bad. I was even on one of the new ones called Totally Rad Christmas. It's all about 80s Christmas stuff, which hits my nostalgia spot. The host Jerry and I talked about Rudolph's shiny new year. Um, and it was pretty fun. But, I mean, there's a lot of sameness to the premises of some of these things. But not totally. Two in particular just fascinate me. One which I'll get into more in another episode is called Holly Jolly X Masu, and it's all about Japanese Christmas music, which is amazing. But the other one basically did my work for me with this whole weird Christmas food thing. Glenn Warren started a show called The Seasons Eatings Podcast, and it's wonderful. In each episode, he picks a different holiday food or drink and finds these great stories and anecdotes from the history and traditions that go along with it. It walks that sometimes tricky line between informative and straight-out entertaining, and I knew I had to ask him to come talk about some old Christmas food. I also just like that it's a show that takes one aspect of Christmas traditions and dives deep down into that rabbit hole without getting lost. And Glenn was also super generous with his time, did some research for a few things I'd been wondering about too. So again, fair warning, we do get into some nasty stuff, but if you want your gag reflex to get a little workout, then settle in. But we started by talking about why he decided to make the show. Basically, I've been listening to like Christmas podcasts for a couple years, mostly uh, Brian Earl's Christmas Past and 
Tim, Babs, uh, can't wait for Christmas because they've been doing it the longest. And uh, uh, Jeff Westover from MyMerryChristmas.com. He's got that merry little podcast that I listen to. So Christmas has always been around <laughs> all yeah. year for me. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, and so because, you know, of this lovely little pandemic thing, um, I recently had three months of not doing anything. <laughs> Um, I work part time and because I had a, you know, stuck at home, uh, I figured I've always loved food, um, because I'm a trained certified baker. I've been a certified baker for, since 2011. Um, I've always loved the history of food and why we, you know, have certain customs and traditions, that we seem to fall into over and over. And I figured that was the perfect marriage, um, talking about the holiday foods that we enjoy every year and why do we enjoy them? So, <laughs> you know, great. It, it's great to, you know, haul out the turkey dinner or the mincemeat pie or the, you know, eggnog every year. But I've always wondered, how did that start? Yeah. Heaven forbid there's that there's that caveman who said, Oh, you know, he didn't die eating that berry. Great, we'll eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and my kids always want to know, like, why do we only eat this stuff at Christmas or Thanksgiving? Which is a very fair question. Like, why do we still have certain traditional things that now just seem like holiday food? Well, especially now that we have sort of a global sort of food economy and you can practically get almost any food at any time of the year, except for eggnog, which only comes out now <laughs> but for most of the time um food was seasonal yeah i mean even in, in my parents generation you got oranges around christmas time you got apples in the late summer early fall um but now you got apples that are being shipped halfway across the world so yeah. you could have them in february <laughs> yeah yeah well that's cool well the show i actually really like because you do a lot of history you do some fun stuff talk about how like the one that i really like is the um uh the oh shoot and of course the minute i try and say it the word goes out of my head but the bread um the The stalin how it's such a regional thing and how even it wasn't necessarily particularly all that good right at first necessarily. (laughs) Um, But it became this sort of very huge traditional thing. Um, And, and it's fun that you get not just sort of a simple story, but, but like a whole history story. Like I said, um, I was trained as a baker. And one of the things we had to learn in school was how to make all these sort of different holiday breads. I mean, most our classes were basically from September to April Mm-hmm. And so the beginning of the year, we made fruitcake because that's when you make it in the late uh, late summer, early autumn. Uh, so you can let it steep and marinate in its uh, air brandy for a while. Um, and we had to make panettone, which is an Italian bread served at Christmas time. We made uh, stollen, which is the German bread, strudel. The panettone is the one that people may see in like the boxes, right? Like if I'm remembering yes. correctly, they're usually sold in in like, you know, pretty cool. Lovely little boxes, boxes and yeah. little paper uh, wrapped around the panettone and yeah. it's filled with like uh, glassy cherries and, and yeah, uh, yeah. sugared fruits inside. And it's basically like a, a, a yeast bread with a little bit more sugar added to it and glazed fruits. So it seems like every European culture has sort of a fruit bread combination for the holidays. 
Oh, wow. I hadn't really thought of it. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Because fruit was obviously in its natural state, spoils quickly. So you have yeah. to find ways, some way of preserving it. So the easiest way of preserving fruit is to soak it in sugar. Gotcha. Because sugar is hydroscopic and it absorbs moisture. So any way of getting the moisture out of the fruit into the sugar would prevent any bacterial growth. When you were describing some of this on the show, I was thinking like, how can I go actually candy some of my own fruit now? <laughs> but you explained how you, you know, you. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you have the time, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. I mean, uh, I mean, nowadays um, we have things of convenience, but back right. then people had the time and the labor to make all these things. Now we just yeah. conveniently pay for it. So if you, if you have some some poor young kid who's standing around doing nothing, hey, let him uh, stir a bowl of sugar fruit for a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, one thing that's cool, I mean, me being interested in the stranger, lesser known stuff, but one thing I like is that even things that are pretty familiar with what you're talking about, they end up having a pretty complicated and strange history. Well, that yeah, that's I mean, that's the thing. I mean, Right now, because of the Christmas season, we have everything that's cinnamon and nutmeg and mace and cloves and all these spices that are permeating the fall and holiday season flavors. They started out back in medieval times. We think they're pretty common because you can go to the local store right now and buy like a, right. a jar of cinnamon for like $2. But you had kings and queens stuffing birds and animals and pies and and spicing wine because they could afford to have a ship go to the the West Indies to get bags of cinnamon you know the local person did not have that convenience <laughs> <laughs> right well speaking of weird things though one thing i did want to we, we agreed before kind of make a short little list of things and and see what you know about him. But the one thing that has always amazed me is it goes back to the Boar's Head Carol, which is a famous old traditional uh, English carol. And I think from what I remember, the carol actually might have even older versions that go on the continent. But then when I started looking into it, I find out that, you know, you mentioned lots of Europeans have like fruit and bread mixtures. Seems like all over Europe, there's animal heads. <laughs> this tradition of like animal head being a, a holiday feast. Do you know much about that? I mean, I, I assume that boar's head is probably not something you've tried. I've had wild boar. I just haven't had a head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've had wild boar, although the wild boar you have now is not exactly the wild boar they had right. back in the, in the 15th and 16th centuries because that animal died out. Um, the kings and queens of England basically hunted it to extinction. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, one of the great things about the boar's head is that it's popular at Christmas time because that's when the hunting season was for it. Mm -hmm. Basically, you're allowed to hunt for boar from mid-November to Candlemas, which is like the first week in February. And so it makes it a, a pretty easy go-to for an animal to be served at Christmas time if that's the time you can hunt for it. <laughs> No, I'm just curious. Like, like I actually wondered, did they actually eat the boar's head or was that just kind of like a symbolic thing that was part of the carol? No, they ate out? the whole thing. Um, uh -huh. I mean, a boar traditionally is like five, 600 pounds. Mm -hmm. So when you took that down, you got a lot of meat to feed a lot of people. Uh, so traditionally, the boar's head was cut off and 
Everything was roasted in pieces because you can't fit a full bore into an oven as even as big as a you know a, um, a king's sort of hearth right. oven. Right. Um, and the boar's head was roasted, put on a platter, stuffed with spices and 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 food uh, vegetables and stuff, and an apple in its mouth. That's where that traditional pig with the apple in its mouth comes from. Uh, paraded around the hall, the great hall. And presented to either to the person who killed the boar as a sort of thank you, or to the king. So, and then the platter was placed on the table, and everybody had a piece of the boar's head. And I mean, I've had, like I said, I've had boar before, and it's delicious. And you know, everything in the head is edible. Sure, the cheeks are great. You can have the tongue. You could have, you know, you know. I wouldn't exactly chew on an ear for a while, but I've had pig's ears before. <laughs> I remember somebody shared a, a video with me once of taking a hog's head and they basically skin the hog's head and then kind of roll the, I mean, ears and everything. They kind of just cut around all the cartilage and whatnot and, and then kind of right. roll it and it becomes this sort of, you know, yeah, sort of, uh, what's the word for it? Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a special treat of a, of a sort, this like expensive yeah. and it's a ton of work. I mean, like the guy who was doing it, um, they even sped it up or something, but it was like a, almost an hour's worth of work to actually, you know, trim the, all the, the meat and the skin off the, uh, off the head. Mm -hmm. Well, that's okay. So that's one that makes a little more sense. And, and, you know, I have to admit I've had uh cheek before and I was at a friend of mine's Filipino and he was talking about how it's a big common breakfast thing to eat. Oh yeah, not, and they love common, but they yeah. love to have lechon, which is yeah. like a roasted pig. And I've had, I've also had that. A friend of mine yeah. had a huge fiftieth birthday party, and she brought in the lechon, which is a huge pig stuck yeah. in a spit and roasted, and it looked gorgeous, and it was, it tasted wonderful. Yeah, but, I mean, sorry, all vegetarians out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's funny because Jacob Grimm, the one of the editors of the Grimm's Fairy Tales, he did a little bit of research about. Uh, the boar's head, and he thought that it it harkened back to a um, Swedish tradition. There's one tradition called um, probably butchering the word, but I'll try Sornargoltel, which is a boar sacrifice in dramatic paganism. Oh wow! Okay. So the boar was sacrificed as part of a celebration of Yule, and as we all know, Yule is the sort of precursor to Christian Christmas. Uh, where you know, Germanic pagans pull the big tree out of the ground, pull mm -hmm. it to their to their hearth, start it on fire, and part of the the Yule log portends to the coming season about how many animals you could have if you see there how many sparks fly off the off the flames and all mm -hmm. that stuff. But there was also a big sacrifice of a boar, and. In some cultures, uh, they use the boar sacrifice as a, a use for divination, so telling the future. So they took the blood of the boar and and the innards, like they did in ancient Rome, and mm -hmm. and tried to divine what was going to happen in the future of the, for the harvest. And there's also a tradition of putting a hand on the boar after it's sacrificed, and there's a poem. There's a Harvargar saga. Again, I'm probably mm -hmm. butchering the word. I yeah. apologize. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. <laughs> uh, so there's part of the saga. Uh, I'll read this. And they said, they would sacrifice a boar 
On Yule Eve, the boar was led into the hall before the king, and then people laid their hands on its bristles and made vows. In the evening of the Yule, the great vows were taken, and the sacred boar was brought in, and, made, and the men laid their hands thereon and took their vows at the king's toast. So it's, it's an interesting that these, the boar makes a connection to the future and sort of, how can I put this, just swearing an oath to the king? Right. Yeah. <laughs> because he's the great beast, I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's funny because even though, I mean, just speaking in general, even though Yule and Christmas and solstice and all that is all about usually hoping for coming back from the sun, you don't usually get a whole lot of celebrations that that specifically mention the future. So that one's, no. that's pretty unique, actually. Like so much is about looking back or about cycles, but that's a, a unique one. And from what I know about really... Yeah, paying attention to what you're going to do in the coming year or something like that, or making a vow or something. That's we really also have to remember that this is a time, uh, you know, just at the time when the, it's the, the light is the darkest. Mm-hmm. Don't know if you're going to survive the winter. Um, you've probably sacrificed all of your animals because you can't afford to feed them. Uh, you've kept maybe one or two to have calves or have mm-hmm. uh have babies next year. So we have a whole tradition of celebrating in the month of December, just so you have enough food stores to last you through the winter. Right. Yeah. Um, One other connection to a boar for Christmas is that uh, the boar is the animal that Freyr rides Mm -hmm. and the sow is the one that his sister rides, Freya of uh, Norse tradition. And so in Sweden, they actually have little pig-shaped Christmas cakes that they eat. Oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> no, I had no idea. That's yeah. Awesome. So they make, they make these little cakes and they, you know, serve them to everybody. And they're like a little pig face on the top. <laughs> and it goes yeah. back to that. It goes back yeah. to something about that. That's awesome. <laughs> and I know I've seen something about sheep's heads being commonly eaten. And I, it was Scandinavian. I don't remember if it was Sweden in particular, but that's another thing that if you look up those like Buzzfeed lists of like weird holiday foods or whatever, that's one that always shows up on it is. Yes. And you also have the the Welsh tradition of the horse's head that goes from door to door. Right. um, right. During the new year. Now I don't know if people have eaten the Mary lead before. (laughs) That's the one I I did. I don't know. I mean, why would you have a spare horse's skull around? I'm not sure, but hey, you never know. That's right. <laughs> so, but with animals, um, one thing I noticed too is that there are a lot of stories and mentions of peacock as a common uh, winter food or Christmas food. Um, and you had said how there were actually all kinds of strange traditions with what people would do with birds. Yes. Um the kings and queens of the Middle Ages, uh, sorry, not Middle Ages, they don't call it that anymore, the medieval period, mm-hmm. <laughs> the period basically between five, the 5th century to the 15th century of the common era, um, they had to show their wealth and prestige, and a lot of animals were kept as pets. Um, the peacock was one of them, the swans, um, you know, birds that have a nice show about them, basically. And unfortunately, animals weren't really considered that special for, you know, for personal reasons. So they just ate everything. Yeah. 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 Um, You had your pet dog, but that's probably about it. (laughs) You know, dogs were good for hunting. Well, one of the great things about 
um, researching all these old cookbooks and stuff that you find all these great recipes of different birds and different animals. And the main thing for the, to take back or take away from this is that you had to show your largesse basically. And yeah. if your cook was the best cook in the, in the country, he had to prove it. And so you had to do all these weird, amazing uh, things to show off to your guests. Yeah. So there's a, um, 15th century cookbook from Naples uh, where they have a recipe to make a peacock breathe fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, it's funny because you basically, you have to kill the peacock, but you have to make sure it's, it's still intact. So when you, when you take it, you pluck out the, the feathers, make sure you only slice the skin so you can pull back the skin, but don't, remove it so you get you can put the skin back to make it look like it's still alive uh, so after you've gutted the peacock you stuff it with bacon and and garlic and uh whole cloves and then roast it coat it with spices like cinnamon and saffron and all these things that are super expensive so it, it looks like a nice golden brown and then put the peacock feathers back into the peacock stuff a <laughs> stuff a piece of of uh wool in its mouth soaked with camphor and then and maybe a little aquavit and then just before it's served light the camphor soaked wool so the peacock is breathing fire when it gets set on the table oh god <laughs> And they wow. said, at the, and the last thing is, this is great. At the last thing of the recipe, it says, to make, it more, make them more magnificent, you can cover the peacock with gold leaf and then cover <laughs> it with the skin. Like a fire-breathing peacock is not magnificent. Oh, wow. No. <laughs> and they, I mean, obviously, Christmas is not the spectacle it is now that mm -hmm. it was back in the medieval times because they didn't really have that sort of What's the word? They didn't really have that sort of revelry that they had for yeah. Christmas as we do now. Right. Um, liturgically speaking, the big religious days, Easter. Yeah. Uh, you had a couple guests who talked about uh, medieval times yep. uh, on your show previously. And yes, there was reference to the Christ child and all that stuff. Um, but the actual festival of Christmas wasn't as big as people expected mm -hmm. it to be. Yeah. Um, you did have a couple kings, like King Richard II. He had, it's reported that he had uh, a whole bunch of guests over for the holidays. He had 10,000 guests for the Christmas season. And some, it's depending on how hard it is to get to where you're supposed to get to, because you're not jumping on a plane flying mm -hmm. to the castle. You're traveling miles, usually on horseback or on carriage. Yeah. Some guests would stay as long as a month, maybe two months. So they had to be entertained. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're not going to be sitting there waiting for your next meal. You know, you're not going to be served meat and potatoes every day. You have to have some sort of entertainment. So your chefs are thinking of all these different ways to make things interesting. <laughs> One of the big man. ones is a, a thing called a, a cockatrice. Uh, it's basically a half uh, capon or half uh, turkey sewn to the back end of a pig. <laughs> gotcha. 
So <laughs> the early tur not exactly a turducken, but almost yeah, something. it's like it's a yeah. weird turducken. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you basically take well, you can take a capon, which is a small, well, a tiny bird, basically. It's mm -hmm. like the size of a pheasant, I think. But I've seen um, larger ones like a chicken or a turkey. Well, they basically kill both animals, chop off the bottom half of the, the pig and sew it to the base of a bird and then serve it. So... <laughs> It's funny because cockatrice, I know from like reading a bunch of fantasy stuff and D and D and things like that. And yeah, it's mm -hmm. a half. Yeah, it's a it's one of those hybrid creatures. But yeah, they ate it, okay. and they <laughs> ate it. They made it and ate it. Because uh, there's another great cookbook um, from the chefs of Richard II called "The Form of Curry," and there's a recipe for the cockatrice, and they uh, basically say, you know, cut them half, sew them together, and then cover, make a stuffing of bread, suet, spices. And then gild them with egg yolks and saffron and ginger to make it sparkle, basically. And oh, then wow. cover it with silver and gold foil. <laughs> like We're getting a know, trend to that now, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of my favorites, unfortunately, it's horrible for the bird. It's um, basically making a live bird look like it's already cooked. Again, like I said, they didn't think animals had souls, so <laughs> they didn't really take in mind the uh, the health and welfare of the animal. So you get, basically got a whole chicken, um, plucked it alive in hot water, and then take a couple egg yolks and some saffron and some flour, mix it together, and coat the chicken so it looks like it's already cooked. And then while it's still alive, tuck its head under its wing because birds kind of fall asleep, quote unquote, when their heads are under their wing. <laughs> and then put the platter along with other roasted birds onto the, the table. And the bird, just before it's about to be carved, because you'll poke it, it'll wake up and start trotting off down the table. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm, I'm sure that would be a sight to see, but it would freak the heck out of me. <laughs> yeah, and there goes my appetite. Yeah. <laughs> I there, I mean, there's always stories about live animals coming out of pies. There's that mm -hmm. children's nursery rhyme, sing a song oh, of suspense. Yeah. Um, basically, four and twenty-four blackbirds baked in a pie, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, it's not that uncommon because pies were more of a vehicle for the filling. Yeah. So they would make these sort of combinations of fat, flour, and water as a shell. And then they would stuff it with birds or small animals. And so that they trot out this huge pie, take off the lid, and all these birds would fly out. <laughs> yeah. Or Merry they'd, Christmas. Yeah. Or they'd stuff a, stuff a bird into uh, a napkin or you know a cloth napkin tuck it inside so when the person t picks up their napkin to put it on their lap the bird would fly away <laughs> <laughs> not exactly hygienic no either. no one of my favorites i haven't talked about this one at all but this one's amazing it's called the trojan hog um, <laughs> I, I think i can already see where we're going here yeah it's from a it's from a book uh again from the late uh, 16, early 16th century. Uh, it's, the cookbook's called the Magia Naturalis. It's basically a, a, a whole bunch of these different books talking about all these um, different 
disciplines. Mm-hmm. So there's a book about geology, a book about medicine, a book about uh, metallurgy, and for some strange reason, there's a book about cooking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so this thing is a Trojan hog, and it is what you think it is. It is basically a hog that is stuffed with all these different things that you wouldn't think would be in a hog. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. So the hog was killed, basically gutted, taken the, the entrails and the blood out of the hog, washed with wine, hung by the heels to drain and then washed again and then rolled in musk and pepper and then stuffed into the hog were thrushes, what are small little birds, um, gnat snappers. And I'm not sure. I think they're another small bird, um, eggs, oysters, scallops, and then washed again with wine. And then half the hog is stuffed with polenta and polenta is not the corn meal that we think of now, yeah. polenta is basically a combination of barley and wine and oil. Oh, okay. So you have this hog that's plugged basically with yeah. birds and eggs and seafood, baked, and then after the hog is f- fully cooked, the polenta is taken out and then brought in on a silver platter. So when one cuts into it, all these different things fall out of the back of the hog. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, again, not not exactly what I consider appetizing, but definitely showy. I mean, if you're if you're trying to show off and like present all these things in as odd ways as you can think of, yeah, I mean, they're they're definitely coming up with lots of stuff. I mean, this is definitely a show of plenty, a, a kind of cornucopia, just not exactly <laughs> what I think of. One of the themes that comes through all these different foods is the amount of spice and stuff that are used. Yeah. Um, I mean, food, the spice basically to color all the food, to color the meat, to flavor it, to um, sometimes hide the fact that the meat's not that good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That's where the meat pies come in, the shred pies. Uh, basically, at Christmas time, you would shred up the meat that was kind of going a little off. Mm-hmm. Um, add a whole bunch of shredded fat because we're not watching our waistlines because winter's coming. Right. And stuff it into a pie shell. And at the time, they were called coffins because they were <laughs> rectangular and they kind of looked like a tiny little coffin. And on the top, you put a little figure of a baby to represent the Jesus child, Christ child. And you would use, um, 13, no, yeah, 13 spices or 12 spices, I can't remember, to represent the apostles. Yeah. And you'd, and you'd serve it at Christmas. So hmm. that's wow. where the shredded pies come from. All these mincemeat pies that are popular now. Right. Basically started in the Middle Ages. Wow. That's a crazy one. But, but it totally <laughs> makes sense. Like it's a great way to, to reuse the old stuff like that. I mean, we talk about leftovers and how to do stuff, but that's, that's taking it to a different level. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So that's a lot of meat. Um, a, lot of meat. <laughs> a lot of different kinds of meat. It's a things. keto diet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there are other things too. I know if you look online and, and like I said, those listicle article things will always have certain gross things. And there's one, speaking of stuffing things, I know there's one that's supposed to be an Inuit, like winter festival thing where you take a seal and then you stuff all these tiny birds in to let them, basically let them ferment and that that's what 
what the cooking of it is, is the, the mm-hmm. fermentation of the, the small birds. I forget exactly what it's called. And I think it was something else I couldn't really pronounce, but, um, yeah. And so that's one I definitely know as, uh, something that gets shown a lot, but not exactly part of a Western tradition. Exactly. Well, I mean, if you think about it, um, if you travel to the Arctic, there aren't a lot of trees. <laughs> oh yeah. So you don't really have any process of cooking anything. So you have yeah. to rely either fermentation or pickling or some sort of way to make sure the food doesn't spoil. Yes. In right. the winter it won't spoil anyway, cause it's frozen solid, but a lot of Northern cultures eat food either raw or fermented. Yeah. And so, the pickling makes sense too, because it preserves things. So there's a lot of stuff out there about sort of pickled or preserved fish as a very yeah. common sort of winter food, but it makes sense because it's what you have available, right? Yeah. Or smoked. But again, if you don't have the access to the, the wood, you can't smoke things. There's one small thing, uh, because I'm from Canada, uh, in the Northern part, the, they hunt ptarmigan, which is like a little a uh, small lot of winter bird mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people when they hunt it it's during the winter and you can barely see it and the bird eats berries and twigs and all that stuff and when you catch it you eat it raw so oh wow you skin the bird right there eat everything because you don't know when your next meal is going to be and you're stuck in the frozen tundra with hardly any food yeah <laughs> So makes sense. <laughs> Suddenly a lot of the dead bird cards that I share starting to make a little more sense. <laughs> but cool. Well, that's a lot about animals and creatures. Yes. So maybe we can go to some weirder, um, if not exactly vegetarian fare, at least things that don't involve torturing small birds. So what are some other things that you've got coming up on your show or that you, is there any sort of preview you can give us for things that are coming up that you haven't done yet? Uh, I'm going to be talking about, eggnog oh, cool. um, because eggnog is big for the holidays and has the wonderful spices of cinnamon and nutmeg and all that lovely things um, which eggnog most scholars believe that the precursor to eggnog is posset which i have never heard of yeah <laughs> posset is basically a combination of milk and spirits and mm-hmm. probably a little bit of bread just to keep things interesting. And that's putting bread in drinks is kind of a normal thing that I've heard because I got interested in wassail for a little while. And a lot of recipes would talk about getting some kind of bready something on top of the old wassail. Um, and, and just to throw background. So you, I'm sure some people have heard of wassailing is like, here we go, a wassailing. And, yes. um, but the, it's a drink that is mostly alcoholic, but but when you find actual sort of historical recipes of it, it sounds just disgusting because it it's sometimes <laughs> called the, the thing that got me was that what they do is they take like fermented apples and bread and it created this kind of frothiness on the top of the drink. And that led some people to call it lamb's wool, which yeah, to me it looks like lamb's most, wool. Yeah. Which is the most disgusting way I could think of drinking something. One of the things, um, Actually, I talked about wassail in my latest episode, in September's episode of uh, Seasons Eatings. Um, they're a little, my little plug. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, lamb's wool is basically what you said before. It's it's the froth that comes from the fermented app or the fermented uh, crab apples is what they used. So they would take crab apples um, 
and throw them into the hot wine. And so the wine would cook and then the crab apples would break open and start to froth. And so that froth would kind of look like lamb's wool on the top of the beverage. Yeah, not something I would want to go beg from people's houses. Because <laughs> that's the wassailing tradition, right? You go around and you either carry a big wassail bowl or they are supposed to give you drink and food from, from their house before you move on. But yeah, yes. That it would not inspire me to go out and sing in the cold. Well, I mean, if you drink enough of it, you wouldn't feel the cold. <laughs> I guess, so. I guess so. I'm just not sure I could keep the <laughs> keep it down once I hit the froth. Yes, and I mean, they would also add um, a little bit of egg and a little bit of uh, dried bread to the wassail. <laughs> to I don't know if it would like soak up the extra alcohol or what, or just make it more toothsome, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what you want in a drink. <laughs> the only thing I was thinking is if you're walking around, like, does it just make it not slosh as much? I don't know. But I, I'm probably over-rationalizing. <laughs> but just... I mean, um, wassailing was basically another pagan tradition where they would take uh, apple cider and pour it onto um, old uh, apple trees for their orchard for a better season or better mm -hmm. crop for next year. Well, good. Well, let's see. What are some other other strange ones? Well, you know that uh, they always thought that cinnamon and nutmeg and cloves and stuff warded off the plague. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. So, so that means that all of our pumpkin spice latte things are that's keeping, it and keeping COVID away from us. Maybe exactly. Maybe. Drink more yeah. pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> uh, but basically, because the heat. I mean, it, it's the spices make you feel warmer. Yeah. So, uh, but. The needed, the need for all these different spices led to like huge uh, wars back in what the 1600s, basically from the Dutch, because if you know your little bit of history, the Crusades brought you know death and famine across Europe, but uh, also brought spices to uh, the kings and queens of the of the Eastern Europe or Western Europe. I'm sorry. People controlling the spices at the time were the Muslim traders, and the English are like, we got to get a piece of this, <laughs> and so they sent out uh, ships to find out where all these spices are coming from, so they could instead of paying someone else to do it. So the Dutch uh, found spices in Indonesia for nutmeg, and they basically went in, slaughtered everybody, and brought in their own slaves. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's what happened. Uh, so was it? There's a one Dutch uh, colonel called Jan Peterson Cohen. He came to the Banda Islands, which is in the West Indies, murdered all the tribal chiefs, and then brought in Japanese mercenaries and reduced the population to from about 15,000 to 1,000 people, and then repopulated the island with slave workers. Wow. I know. All for nutmeg. All for nutmeg. And you think, you know, sprinkle it on your, your latte in the, at, at your local coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you had to do to get it. That's insane. And then for uh, cinnamon, there's an island off the coast of India called Sri Lanka. And that's where most of the natural cinnamon came from back in the time. Uh, there's a small village in Sri Lanka called Kandy spelled with a K and there's a huge Buddhist population there and the Buddhists 
basically not really controlled everything, but they had mm-hmm. a, a good hold on things. And the Portuguese wanted to control the cinnamon trade. And so they brought in a whole bunch of people thinking, if we just uh, take over this region, we'll control all the spice of cinnamon going in and out of the, of the country. And so there's one feature in Sri Lanka about uh, a festival called the Esala Parahera, which is the festival of the tooth. So the Buddhists believe that they have possession of a sacred tooth that was uh, possessed by the original Buddha. And so there's a festival every year celebrating this tooth. They parade the tooth on top of a giant elephant. Um, There's dancing and singing and feasting and all this great fire dancing and all this wonderful stuff. And so the Portuguese are thinking, okay, we go in, steal this tooth, and we'll control everything. (laughs) (laughs) And so they sent in ships. But the Buddhist, the Buddhist population found out about it, and they set up a fake tooth. <laughs> so they stole a fake tooth. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So the people of Kandy were never subjugated to the Portuguese, and now every year there's a great festival of an elephant with a small little pillow with a tooth on it that's paraded around the town. Oh wow! To celebrate the the lack of. Um, subjugation i guess for more for better words that's amazing. that's where your cinnamon comes from that's amazing <laughs> and we all know that uh um cinnamon or nutmeg and mace are from the same plant well that's awesome that's, that's <laughs> it's great. a lot of information yeah no but i was gonna say this is one reason why i really like of all the yeah there have been a lot of new like christmas podcasts that popped up in the last year, but yours is definitely one of my absolute favorites just because you do a a great job of really finding a lot of good information, a lot of research. And thank you. Yeah. You're not just, you know, watching Santa Claus two again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not talking about it. (laughs) But one thing I really like about yours, like I said, is just how much research you put into these things and you tell some wonderful stories and find things that I've never heard before. So it's a, it's a blast for the show. So um, where can they find it? They can find it at seasonseatingspodcast.com and basically wherever you download your favorite uh, podcast apps. Um, I'm on all of them. You name it. I'm there. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. Uh, Just search for seasons eatings podcast. I'm on Instagram at Seasons Eatings Pod and Twitter at Seasons Eat Pod because Twitter only allows you a certain number of characters. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good stuff. And I are you planning or are you thinking about any sort of like bake alongs for the season or something like that? <laughs> I didn't know how much you wanted to get people involved. No, I've seen I mean, people I do have, weird things. Yeah, I have a couple extra episodes coming up. Uh, during the Burr months, I've done uh, a bonus episode on the 10th of each month called the Seasons Eating Side Dish. So coming up in October, I'll be talking about uh, sweet potato and the history of the sweet potato casserole and sweet potato pie. And I'll do an extra episode in November and December. So you have to stay tuned and find out what those are. Awesome. So I hope everybody goes and takes a listen because it's it's great stuff. It's funny, but it's also informative. And I learned a lot. So I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. (laughs) 
So we obviously talked a little while ago, and those side dish episodes are all out now. But please give him a listen. In this sort of glut of new podcasts, I don't want the good stuff to get lost. And Glenn's put a lot of effort into his shows, and like Grandma always says, they're made with love. Hopefully you'll want to give him some back. Now, I know some of you are listening to this part hoping I'll say that the contest episode is about done, but no, still working. If you entered a story, you should be hearing from me very shortly. For everyone who just wants to hear them, it'll be out closer to Christmas. But we do have our annual ghost story, which is just about done. I won't spoil it by telling you which one we did, but it's a good one. I can say that it actually happens on Christmas, which is kind of unusual for old Christmas ghost stories. But I'm still staying religiously on theme. Oh, but if you are looking for more ghost stories, I've talked before about the Valencore books of Victorian Christmas ghost stories. The fourth volume came out this year, and I've been emailing with the editor, Christopher Filippo. Volume four is actually focused on Victorian American Christmas ghost stories rather than staying in the UK like the other volumes. And he wants me to assure everyone that he was actually able to find stories that did indeed have a Christmas connection, not just ones that were often told on Christmas. It just came out, so go give it a peek. If you like the show and all the cards on social media, you can support me by joining Patreon, which is about to help me out with picking the winners of the story contest. But no, if you join, you can't vote for yourself. Don't get any ideas. My Patreon levels are $2 and $5 a month, with the biggest difference just being the number of real postcards I'll send you through the year. You can also give a one-time donation in increments of $3 with the price of a coffee at ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash weirdchristmas. And thanks to the first person who signed up for a recurring monthly donation there. That's really generous, and I appreciate it. They wanted to stay anonymous. Probably means it's my mom, which, you know, that's pretty cool. Hi, Mom. Instead of money, you can also leave a review, and I did get a couple of Apple Podcast reviews since last time. Even just a quick little love the show is awesome. I still think that a whole ream of like insane reviews that have nothing to do with the actual show would be funnier. And with that, guys, I am literally off to work on finishing the next episode. Really working to keep them coming this year, and I just want to say thank you to everyone who's listening, helping me find that stranger side of the holidays. A little novelty among the traditions is always a good thing. So stay safe, both from COVID and from Krampus, because Krampus knocked is coming. He might grab you and put you in that barrel he sometimes carries on his back. Got to be better than Nick's ancient unwashed bag, right? And yeah, if you follow the cards, then you know Saint Nick and Father Christmas and Père Noël and the rest would indeed bag the naughty kids too. Sometimes. So, as always, don't let Santa stuff you in his bulging, sweaty sack. If you only listen to one Christmas podcast this year, then make it Weird Christmas with Craig Kringle. But if you listen to like a bunch of them, then you should listen to... Um, Christmas Past, that's a good one. Can't Wait for Christmas, I like that. Tinsel Tunes, and Jingle Jank, those are good ones. Um, but like, if you've got any space in your schedule, then why not give my podcast a go? It's called Total Christmas. It's hosted by me, Jack. And me, Robin. What are you doing here? Nothing. No, just stand at the back because I'm doing something now. No, just wait over there. She, she doesn't host it. Don't listen to her. Sorry, where was I? Oh yeah, so I've got this podcast and it's a bit of fun, you know, you might enjoy it, you might hate it, you don't have to listen to it, I'm not forcing, I'm not coming around your house and saying listen to my podcast. Let's just say I've got a podcast called The Total Christmas Podcast and we talk about Christmas and that's pretty much it, yeah. Daddy, can I listen to your podcast now? Well, yeah, you can, but you'd probably be the first one. Total Christmas Podcast. <laughs>